This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Vic Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is Dr. Vic, and you are listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. As we had the awesome opportunity of interviewing David Krantz today, he is an epigenetic coach. This may be something new that you may have never heard of the term before, but uh, David is has advanced knowledge in many different things about nutrigenomics, nutrigenetics. We talk a little bit about um, we dive into more of epigenetics. What really is that? How does that influence health, your role, your body, your mind, how stress plays a role, and really how to take yourself and your life to another level each and every single way. He'll explain how gene sequencing, how looking at gene expression and different pathways people have more developed than one versus the other, and how we can influence that through nutrition, through herbs, how we can improve our sleep, how light plays a role in our life, benefits of the good and the bad, how artificial lighting is interfering with our sleep cycles, and so much more. It really is the foundation to giving about understanding peak performance in a certain way by covering it from a gene perspective first and then taking it from there all the way through. I had a lot of time chatting with him on this. There was, you know, being my background as a chiropractor, it was a lot of fun stuff that we can dive into um, and really share in a simple way about different ways you can create some influence in your health and in your overall life. So with no further ado, I don't want to take any more thunder away from this guy. Welcome. David Kratz to the show. Hey, thanks, Dr. Vic. It's a pleasure to be on here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I checked out your biography and everything you do, and I'll tell you, man, I am stoked to have you on and really uh, dive deep. I think we're going to have a lot of rabbit holes to dive through and go through in, uh, in many different directions, so I'm excited for this next hour. 
I'm excited too. It's always a question of which rabbit hole are we going to go down. And <laughs> yeah, I love it. So, you know, just with your vast background and everything, one of the curiosities is, that I love to ask is just like, how did you get into this? Like, cause it's not like, I mean, I, I'm assuming one thing led to another, but um, please share if you don't mind um, how you got into this whole process with uh, nutrigenics, epigenetics and all this other stuff that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I've always had a interest in science. And I remember when I was taking high school biology, I wrote a, a lengthy essay about how I thought that biology was at a dead end unless they started incorporating quantum physics into their model. And at the time, you know, I was like, my, 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 my professor had no idea what I was talking about, but ended up giving me a good grade because he looked up what I was talking about and was like, I've always just kind of been on the edge of really wanting to explore what are the, you know, the next level kind of things out there. And, you know, um, I, I actually went to school for, for music. I decided to pursue music more, um, more fully and for a while kind of left my scientific interests in, in the background. And then I started having a bunch of health issues in my early and mid twenties and didn't get any answers from kind of mainstream Western medicine, as I'm imagine some of your listeners also might've had that experience. And, uh, I, I start. I was passing out randomly. Like I was having vasovagal responses to things that were really, you know, I probably shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw cardiologists and, and had a heart monitor implanted in my chest for a short period of time. And, uh, it was pretty scary, but they were basically like, yeah, you're actually healthy. There's really nothing we can do quote unquote healthy. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, this is not, <laughs> this is not what health is supposed to be. I, I there's something wrong here. Um, and so I kind of just embarked on this path of biohacking and, one thing led to another. I ended up doing some work at a medical clinic here in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and I was producing meditation and uh, mindfulness programs, audio programs um, for a doctor that ran a clinic. And at the, around at the same time that I got hired to do some you know, audio and music work for him, he started teaching his method of epigenetics and uh, genetic-based nutrition and very personalized kind of high-level medicine. And I was just there at the right time. And he was like, hey, do you want to take this training program? We're kind of looking for someone to uh, you know, become a coach and test this out before I make this public. And so I had the fortunate opportunity to um, have uh, this guy, Dr. Dan Stickler, as my mentor. Um, and if you look him up, he's really one of the kind of top experts in nutrigenomics now, um, speaks at, at all the big conferences. And uh, I, I fortunately just had the chance to take what I had learned in terms of my own biohacking path, um, my longstanding interest in science, and really combine it with what he had figured out over his career as a, as a primary care doctor, working with genetics and uh, really looking at how you can understand someone on a deeper level and really get to the, the underlying factors underneath someone's biochemistry at the genetic level. So, um, things just kind of went from there and I started working with clients and, um, really found a passion in genetics and understanding the body in, in that way. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the classic example of I had to fix myself before I could fix other people and then was just sort of in the right place at the right time and got given the key. I love it. Yeah. Now, how? What's, what's, what are some of the, the biohacks that you have done? So my listeners have heard about biohacking before. So what are uh, some things that you have done and had success with or you enjoy doing? Yeah, I really love using light as a biohack. I think mm-hmm. that one of the big things that we're overall as a society missing and kind of getting wrong is our light exposure habits. Um, you know, we're constantly inside, we're not getting sunlight, we're exposing ourselves to all kinds of um, irregular frequencies of light that we wouldn't have been exposed to, you know, say 200 years ago before we invented the light bulb. You know, once you see the advent of the light bulb at the beginning of the 20th century, um, you things start to shift in terms of certain disease um, patterns and things like that. And um, our body is pretty exquisitely tuned to respond to sunlight. I mean, you know, you think about the way that all organisms on earth evolved over millennia. Uh, We were doing it in this very specific environment with a very stable, specific set of light frequencies. 
And when you shift that, it, it seems to really alter some, some function. And uh, so one of the things that I've really enjoyed doing is learning how to integrate natural sunlight back into my life. And I mean, it sounds really simple. Um, and it's, you know, you could argue that it's not even really a biohack, but I, it, it's so profound in the way that it can change things that uh, I now consider sunlight and uh, electromagnetism to be kind of at the forefront of what's the first thing you can do on a you know, daily basis to improve your health and improve your body's function. Yeah, to- totally agree with that. Do you do any, besides sunlight, do you do any like infrared or uh, anything along those lines? I have like an infrared everything. light on me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I, do, uh, I do an infrared sauna most mornings when I wake up and meditate for 15, 20 minutes, get relaxed and bathe in the infrared sauna. See, I know we connect. That's what I do every morning too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then I have a light that I do some extra lightweight light. I'm still trying to figure out how I can get the the red light because I have light therapy. I have a little thing that has red light therapy and infrared in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives me all like four different wavelengths. But I'm like, oh, I should put it in the sauna, double it up. But uh-huh. then I'm like, but it'll overheat in the sauna. So I'm like, I got to figure something out. I'll, I'll figure out a way to uh, keep that thing cool so I can actually extend it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been experimenting with, um, when I'm on a computer for a while or I'm doing a call like this, um, trying to get some extra red light in the frequency to maybe offset a little bit of the blue light coming from the screen. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, no, and light is definitely a biohack. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you know, as you said, the lighting of what we use in today's world, uh, definitely throws her off even on her skin. I mean, I was talking to a patient yesterday about, She's getting into protecting her with light and blue light. And I was like, great. So he's like, I'm going to get blackout curtains. I'm like, okay, cool. And, or no, I'm sorry, not blackout curtains. She was going to get an eye mask. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's good, but your skin sees too. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, they have light receptors. So yeah. the light that you have coming in is still going to be picked up unless you're totally covered. And they're like, oh, man. I'm like, just go get the covers, block it all out. You'll be fine. You'll be able to get deeper sleep. Um, but then I'm like, I can go further and I'm like, I don't want to confuse them. So I left it at that, but, uh-huh. um, yeah, now nutrigenomics, a lot of probably my listeners don't know what that is, Would you love, can you just kind of explain a little bit about what that is and, and all the fun stuff about it? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> nutrigenomics is the study of how, um, nutrition, herbs, supplements, anything that you put in your body changes your genetic expression. And when I say genetic expression, what I mean is, um, you know, when I was in high school, uh, I was taught the central dogma of biology, probably most people were, where your genes code for proteins, which code for traits. So at the genetic level, you have the specific pattern of these nucleotides that we kind of abbreviated letters like A, T, C, or G. And the specific pattern of those is going to code for this specific protein that will create, say, your eyes being blue or my eyes being brown. And that's kind of it. And then, you know, about 20, 30 years ago, you really started to, un- uh, you know, unlock this other layer uh, called epigenetics that can allow those proteins to change and and at the genetic level cause um, a little bit different expression. And it's a dynamic system. It responds to the environment. When you put um, a specific food in your body, it's information, right? Like it's not just nutrients that you break down and use. It's actually information about the environment that you live in. And so nutrigenomics is really looking at how your body incorporates this information and changes in a way to adapt on a day-to-day basis. And uh, it's really exciting because we can leverage all of these changes that we want to see. And, you know, for, for example, um, you know, saturated fat, there's a lot of uh, kind of back and forth now between the keto world and the vegan world. And just, you know, there, people have a lot of different opinions on saturated fat. Um, and for some people, it really does seem to increase cardiac risk or increase inflammation. Uh, and then some people, you know, seem to be okay, um, seem to have more flexibility with it. And when you look at genetics, you can start to understand why some people might have a nutrigenomic response to saturated fat in one way, and some people might in a different way. Uh, and, f- and when you look at how those genes get turned on or off, you can actually 
look at these little markers that get attached to the genes called methylation or acetylation marks um, and kind of understand, are these genes turning on or are they turning off? And when you know what they do, say this gene, we know it's pro-inflammatory. It's going to cause more inflammation in the body. But when you look at it in scientific studies and see, well, there's more of these marks that are actually causing this gene to express more, say, when this population eats more saturated fat, um, you can get a pretty good understanding that, well, that's probably why it's causing problems. But then you can also look at this other population with different genetic variants that might cause them to respond differently and say, maybe not uh, have that inflammatory promoting response. So nutrigenomics uh, on a general level is looking at how food or supplements or the environment impacts genetic expression. But then when you personalize it, you can use people's individual genetic code to predict their personal responses. And that's where I think it gets really fun and exciting. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, I had, so is it like, for example, I had a test done back in 2012. They checked my genetics to see what do they, based on my genes, what is my body more prone to wanting based on carbs, protein, fats, and then also exercise regimen. What mm-hmm. would my body desire? Which was kind of interesting because it, it was the diet was off from what I normally eat, but um, but the the exercise was dead on. Like I'm a high intensity workout guy. Three days a week is all I need. I take one day hard. I go off for a day, go back, go off, go back on, and I'll have everything what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. But what I found interesting was though, from a genetic perspective fats for me, just fats in general across the board, my body over-absorbs over-absorb, them or doesn't utilize them properly enough. Mm-hmm. So in order for to, um, let's say, saturated fats, I would have to take supplements like L-cartanine or, or carnosine uh, to help utilize and break down those fats to be utilized better instead of sticking around and causing havoc on my heart, mm-hmm. on my health. And it made it kind of made some sense because my grandfather had heart, five heart attacks in his life <laughs> and uh, two open heart surgeries. And he didn't really eat that unhealthy. He lived the natural, he, he lived an Italian lifestyle. Um, there's pasta, but again, Italians, normal Italians don't eat a lot of pasta. They have like a handful of it. It's not like major big bowls of it. So his diet was pretty good, but he had, um, there was a lot of fat intake in his diet and like his breakfast and things like that. Um, that brought some curiosity to it. And it was kind of interesting to see. Does that kind of relate to nutrigenomics? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to give you a distinction too, um, there's something called nutrigenetics and there's also something called nutrigenomics. And there's a, it's a subtle difference, um, but it's kind of important where um, nutrigenetics is going to look more at um, understanding, say you might have a, speci- a higher nutritional requirement because of um, genes or you don't metabolize saturated fat as well. So you just don't eat as much saturated fat. Um, And then nutrigenomics is actually shifting the genetic expression so that you can metabolize that saturated fat better. Um, Yeah. So it's like one is kind of making up for a gap or, and the other one is really shifting the function so that that gap doesn't exist anymore. And it's kind of, you can use both in in complementary ways. I love it. How does, you know, some of this stuff with utilizing this, does, how does that affect with mind-body type stuff? I mean, obviously, it's going to affect health in, in certain ways, but, you know, does, what's the effects, what's the benefits of utilizing this? I know it gets a lot of, it, it, it's, there's a lot to go into this, but um, what's some of the effects that you can, people can have from utilizing this type of principles? Yeah, I think, you know, when we're talking about mental and emotional health, uh, so much of it is just the ability to be present, right? And, and be mindful and have the mental space and the capacity to really do the work or, you know, sit with a difficult emotion or, or think about something, think about something really all the way through. And I think that a lot of what people experience right now, um, that kind of manifests as, um, you know, difficult emotional stuff and mental illness, that type of thing is, is partially related to just not having the metabolic capacity to power your brain in a way that allows you to really uh, sit with that stuff. And so getting the proper nutrition um, and really understanding where you might need more support is, is really going to lead to having a more fully functioning brain, which when you look at the, you know, what you're, what, how you're showing up in life, I think that 
you know, we don't, I don't, I don't like isolating it solely to just the, the, you know, the biochemistry of what's going on, but that biochemistry really impacts the, the mental functioning and, uh, the ability to, to really explore things and be curious and, um, you know, show up in the way that you want to. I like that. And I know that like, you know, mental illness is one of the growing, uh, it's actually the fastest growing disease in the world right now as we speak. Um, how does shifting, you know, knowing your the nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics, how can that, um, can that play a big role in things um, with someone's health, especially with like shifting, changing with oils they use or fats they consume and things along that yeah, definitely. I think that the link between inflammation and depression has been pretty well shown. And, you know, it's a bit of a chicken or egg type of thing. But uh, just in the same way, you can, if, if you're depressed, um, you can intervene in a number of ways, right? You can, you can do um, nutritional therapy, you can take a pharmaceutical if that's your thing, you can do uh, various types of talk therapy. Um, and they all show some effectiveness. Um, but you know, if, if you're getting the, um, the, the baseline things right with your diet and you're, and you understand really, you know, maybe there's something, um, in a choline gene, right. That like you're, you're just, re- you have much higher nutritional requirements. Uh, I just did a read with someone where that was the case where it looked like, um, they really needed to supplement choline, which, you know, is found in eggs and, and liver. And, um, and I'm going to be really curious to follow that person and see how that respond, how they respond to that on a mental health level. And I think that, uh, there's so many factors working against us from a societal standpoint right now, uh, that, you know, there's not a lot of positive models for, uh, healthy, emotional, uh, living in mainstream society. Uh, so, you know, you got that going against you and, um, you know, really look, I mean, there definitely, there's, there's some really interesting factors on the biochemical side of things, uh, things that have to do with methylation and specific nutrient deficiencies that are really tied into mental health. And, uh, I've seen some pretty dramatic results with my clients when they just get the right things in there. You know, people that have been on pharmaceuticals for 20 years and then they finally figure out, well, okay, I've actually had a, um, you know, methylation deficiency and they start taking some SAMe and I've seen people, you know, safely get off of their pharmaceutical medications because they're actually now supplying their, their brain. And, and this is a pathway that really, heavily in influences neurotransmitter production, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I've seen those people really start to thrive after years of not getting the result they need because the way that, you know, mainstream psychiatry works doesn't take into account these underlying factors. And uh, I think the nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics really gives people a, a deeper look under the hood, so to speak, like that. I love it. With your work, do you do anything with... Um the microbiome, the basic probiotics and just the microbiome in general and how it plays a role with uh, gene expression and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. For certain people, um, the gut is going to be a major key and a major player. And, <clears throat> uh, you know, for certain people too, it's interesting. There's a, there's one set of genes I look at, uh, that are actually related to B12 metabolism. And they're, they're called FUT2 genes. And what they do is they actually code for the markers on cells that indicate what your blood type is to the rest of your immune cells. And there's a certain group of people, it's maybe about 15 to 20% of the population that doesn't produce these markers on the lining of their intestines. And it radically changes gut microbiome population because there's certain types of, of species of, of bacteria that actually feed off of those uh, markers. They're, um, they're, you know, they're food for the gut microbiome. So um, in those people, uh, they tend to have higher levels of B12, but they tend to be deficient in bifidobacteria. Mm. Uh, and so with, the, with those, and then because they're deficient in bifidobacteria, sometimes they're deficient in lysine or carnitine as well, because those bifido will produce those. So, um, you know, even though 
I'm looking at the human genome, there's still occasionally some things I can tell that are going to be impacted from that in the gut microbiome just because of the way that the body's set up and it's going to influence those populations. Very cool stuff. Now, I know we were talking, some types of diseases came up and, and, and sometimes people think, you know, the, the old doctrine at the, and from the medical world has always thought, says that, you know, genes play a huge role on our, on our health. And if your, your mother had cancer, good chance you're going to have cancer because it's all in the genes. And this is just what mm-hmm. genetically you are. How true is that? And how does, you know, how true is that? Number one. And number two, um, is there something else that kind of has disproven that in, in some way, shape or form? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I love, I love how you're thinking about that. Um, and leading, leading to the, this answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot more flexibility and a lot more ability to shift the body than we previously thought and, and change disease risks from a her- hereditary standpoint. Because if you understand that, say your, your mom and her mom had a certain type of cancer, well, w- what that means is that there's some pathway in the body that is causing that to happen. And if you can kind of understand these factors, you can do things that shift that risk, right? Um, there's a there's a set of genes I look at that are um, liver detox genes that have to do with breaking down estrogen, for example. And people that have um, breast cancer tend to have um, altered estrogen detoxification or they don't break it down to the fully inactive form. And, you know, if you're someone that has that in your family, um, you can, and you understand, oh, I have this genetic, this pathway that's genetically influenced, um, but there's ways to alter this pathway. There's ways to gen- ep- epigenetically, nutrigenomically change that function. And, and by the way, it's the best way to do that, that um, science has found is with um, brassica vegetables, uh, broccoli, cabbage, Mm-hmm. Um, Brussels sprouts, and there's a there's some extracts from that 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 are useful for shifting that function genetically as well. So, like for example, if if you know that that's something in your family, but then you can actually understand, well, like why has that been happening? Well, it gives you the the information and the ability to potentially change that. And looking at how dynamic and flexible the human body is, you really want to look at all those things as. Um, you know, evolutionary adaptations that might just be in the wrong environment right now. Like there's I, a, a lot of people have the mentality that there's bad genes, there's bad mutations. And for the most part, uh, I think that, you know, the human body has evolved in a way that's intelligent and smart, and it's all just about matching yourself up with the right environment. So, um, you know, something that, uh, you know, was a survival advantage, you know, five, 600 years ago, because we're living in a different environment now. Well, that just might not be an advantage anymore. And it's about sort of retuning what you're putting in your body, what, how you're living that actually allows you to kind of take advantage of those um, things again, if that makes sense. Oh, no, it totally does. And for the listeners out there, epigenetics is a, is a term that means epi means above and genetics mm-hmm. is obviously the genes. So it's a, but what can basically what, is a major factor that controls the genes or plays a role on the genes itself. And so Dave, like you're saying, it's the environment in a sense, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to give you an example, some of your, and we touched, I touched on this before, but um, some of your listeners might've heard of like the MTHFR gene variant, mm-hmm. uh, the methylation pathway. Well, there's certain gene variants uh, that are associated with lower methylation. Um, and, you know, there's a whole litany of, of different disease states associated with that. But what people don't often realize is that um, the, the population background demographically where people come from in the world um, where that have those, uh, those variations at a higher rate are places where there's lots of folate places where there's lots of green leafy vegetables. And what they've shown is that when people have the lower functioning MTHFR variants, but they're getting a lot of folate, it's actually cancer protective. They actually have a lower risk. And so that's actually an evolutionary adaptation if you're just in the right environment and have access to the right food. I love it. Yeah. Like even with like, well, MT, MTHFR, um, I know we see that sometimes with kids who have autism. 
mm-hmm. uh, and they can't process things properly through the muscleization processes because of that. Um, anything that those like, cause I see a lot of kids in my office, in my chiropractic office, is there anything that they can, you know, things they can do besides is this, is this leafy, dark leafy green vegetables or is it with folate and stuff like that? Or is there other things that can help in that process? Yeah, well, the you know you want to look at the whole pathway, which is going to include a lot of B vitamins, uh, B six and B twelve. Um, there's some tests that might be worth running, um, looking at like homocysteine, um, potentially you know direct methylation tests, and um, SAMI is also a great supplement for that. In terms of um, kind of almost, it's kind of the end product of that pathway. Mm-hmm. So you end up kind of bypassing the whole thing and just providing the raw methylation, raw methyl groups. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I haven't done personally a lot of work with, with autistic children, but um, my understanding is that there's some pretty good results in, um, coming from that as well and uh, looking at those pathways and, and how they impact that. Awesome. Now, going back to epigenetics, how, because epigenetics, I know food plays a role, but I think that's only really like maybe sometimes part of the equation. I know with epigenetics, like you, you ever, I'm assuming you have, but just taking Bruce Lipton's work when he talks about all this, right? So how does like a belief system, thoughts, stress, those types of things really play a role on epigenetics and so forth? Yeah, that's a great question too. Um, you know, the, the immune system is wired to respond to stress regardless of whether it comes from internal source or external source, right? So there's kind of, you know, we, we think about um, worry, mental stress, existential dread, you know, I mean, that's going <laughs> to be a big impact of what your belief system is like, like what's your worldview? What's, how do you, how do you understand yourself in relationship to the universe and your consciousness and what else is out there? Um, you know, that, that is going to potentially create stress with how you handle situations and people uh, versus, you know, just being under stress from, um, you know, not getting the right nutrition. They, they, they kind of have a common end, end pathway in the immune system. And um, I love the field of psychoneuroimmunology, which really looks at that. Like what's the interface between how your immune system functions and what you think, you know, like mm-hmm. what, what does your psychology do? And there's some, I mean, it's, it's just incredible the flexibility of our bodies to respond. And I mean, it's totally profound. Um, and it, you know, the, the cultural beliefs that people hold um, have a big impact on this. Like, like one of my favorite little kind of anecdotes is that apparently in Japan, uh, menopause is seen as the sort of like blossoming or flowering into woman, into like older womanhood into like, um, you know, sort of becoming like the mentor role rather than in, uh, America, you know, it's kind of seen as this, like the thing to dread and, um, you know, you're becoming this haggard old woman or what, you know, and yeah, apparently yeah, totally. in, in, uh, in Japan, women, going into menopause do not experience hot flashes or the same types of symptoms here that it just is not something that is part of the culture. And so you, and here uh, the way that we perceive it seems to actually influence the symptoms. And when you look at, uh, you know, so many different um, quote unquote disease states, I think there's a pretty strong psychological origin point. And, you know, I I don't want to be isolationist with that either. I think there's always an interaction between um, what your, how your body's wired, you know, what your genetics are sort of like propelling you towards, what the environment is doing to influence that, and then the way you think about it. And if you're, you know, putting yourself in a position where you're worrying about something or you are um, expecting something to happen, you know, confirmation bias is huge. Um, you're going to get a result. And I think you can leverage that too. You know, and a lot of the work that I, I see on, uh, on your site and learning how to manifest what you really want in reality, it's about focusing your attention and yep. your energy in a certain place. And I think the same holds true for your health and your body. Yeah, no, I, and massively. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's a game changer. And, and I know like Dr. Bruce Lipton, he talks a lot about too, how perception and how the body perceives things mm-hmm. massively plays a role in genetic expression. 
And so that, it's just powerful stuff here when we, when we get into that. How does, and we talked about light before, and I want to, I want to, I was going to tie it in earlier, but and now it's, we're, we're, we're in epigenetics, might as well keep on going with this. How does the, and maybe this has already been answered, but how does the overload of like lighting of all the artificial stuff that we're dealing with, how does that really affect our epigenetic standpoint? And you might have answered this already, but I want to just make sure I asked it again. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I will say that my real deep scientific understanding of, of it really only scratched the surface, but I'll do my best to answer that question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think one of the big things that it uh, impacts is um, circadian genes mm-hmm. and the way that our um, circadian genes control all these other functions in the body. So, you know, at the beginning of every cell, every cell in our body, we have these circadian genes that control um, what's going on, on in that cell on a hourly, daily basis. Um, you know, for example, you, you want melatonin secretion to be high at night and there's all of these genes that sort of, that act as conductors kind of in, in your body and, and synchronize everything ideally. And, uh, those, those genes are really tied in to what you're referring to those, those photoreceptors in the skin and the eyes, the, the opsins, the melanopsins. Um, and they're sensitive, not just to visible light, but they're sensitive to UV, they're sensitive to infrared. Um, and they're designed to really feed these signals of like, Hey, what time of day is it? What should we be awake or should we be asleep? And so what these, you know, what these artificial lights are doing is, is really confusing the body in certain ways sending the wrong circadian signals and you kind of you can imagine like you know if you're conducting a symphony you need everyone to be playing together in order for it to really sound good and play how it's supposed to play and if there's like a clarinet playing out of time or or playing out of key uh, you're going to notice it and you can kind of liken that to poor health disease states energy fatigue energy issues um you know something's out of out of balance because not just, you know, health is rhythmic. Like everything in our body has a rhythm to it. Um, From whether that's something that's going to happen every day or when you look at something like a methylation reaction happening millions of times a second. So these, uh, these rhythms are, are designed to, you know, ideally be consistent and controlled by this set of circadian genes that is controlled by light. And so when you get the wrong frequencies of light, you mess up the rhythm and, uh, you know, and going back to melatonin, that's one of the easier things to understand is that, um, melatonin secretion happens in the presence of darkness and blue light is the signal to stop producing melatonin because it's daylight. It's time to get up. So if you're exposed to too much blue light, your body through the circadian gene suppresses melatonin production. Um, and that, you know, is just kind of the, the first layer to it. But uh, if you can imagine how almost all the biochemical processes in our body have a rhythm to it and have an element of circadian control, uh, light's a pretty big deal. Yeah. It, 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 you know, they say what once, I forgot what the research is on this right off the top of my head, but I know like just a little bit of being the time on your phone, for like, I think it's 10 minutes, five minutes, it's not a lot, can throw off your whole entire, mel- throw off a lot of your melatonin production in the evening and night. And then also, and it's, it's obviously you're watching, looking at your phone at night. And then also um, will disrupt your deep sleep or restorative part of your sleep because of that too. Mm-hmm. Um, massive stuff here. Now, how can someone leverage sleep? I mean, it sounds like obviously blocking out the light is one thing. Is there anything else that they can do to leverage sleep? Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest things people can do is develop a sleep ritual um, and really have a consistent way that they they sleep. Um, You know, really doing something that um, psychologically puts them in a state where they're they're ready to rest, uh, whether that's deep breathing or uh, meditation. You know, there's also some good herbs and supplements like lavender, passion flower, things like that, that um, kind of promote the GABA system, which is going to be the the really relaxing uh, neurotransmitter that helps people fall asleep. Um, you know, it kind of depends on, on the person and that's, you know, some of the genetic things that I see sometimes are people will actually have um, altered melatonin synthesis 
pathways. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you know, looking at the genes, you can get, kind of get a feel like um, is 5-HTP, which um, is one of the precursors, the building blocks of melatonin. Is that going to be effective or, or not for this person based on sort of is this gene in that synthesis pathway? Is that more or less functional? Um, so you can get pretty targeted with that kind of thing. Um, doing uh, – you, your um your temperature of your room also seems to impact it like uh having a little bit of a cooler room helps um and what what you mentioned before in terms of having a completely darked out room i think that's one of the biggest things is just absolutely no light exposure at night while you're sleeping is is huge what about uh emfs like some people sleep with their phone or they have their alarm clock in the room how does that play a role yeah, I'd say the less EMFs, the better. I certainly haven't seen any studies that show that uh, there's a benefit to having more EMFs around. Um, and my personal preference is on the side of caution and on the side of you were basically in a worldwide experiment with no controls, no control group right now. So yep. uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say that... Um, I personally find that I sleep better when I uh, turn off my Wi-Fi, no cell phone in the bedroom. And my personal habit now is like just airplane mode all the time unless I, uh, unless I need to use my phone. It's an airplane mode. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, EMF, it's, it's just – and it's getting worse. I mean, what they're doing now, 5G – uh, towers here and then in the U S and stuff, and there's just no testing on it. And it's like, um, this isn't going to be good. Um, birds are being disrupted by how they fly because of them and, and a lot of other things. So it's, yeah, you, worldwide, it's definitely an experiment with no control group. Like how you said that, um, what about meal timing? How does that play a role with circadian type of rhythms and stuff like that? Cause I've read some people and heard some other individuals talk about different times to eat meal timing for this and that, how that plays a role with certain stuff. Yeah. I think, um, with one of the biggest things is meal timing during the day. So, uh, the research is real clear that uh, your circadian clock has multiple inputs. So we talked about light. Uh, exercise is one. So if you're up and running around right before you go to sleep, you know it's going to be harder to fall asleep. You need a little bit of space to where you're actually resting and not like doing a workout right before you try to go to bed. That's just a signal to the your circadian genes that it's time to be awake. And um, uh, same thing there in terms of uh <clears throat> excuse me uh in terms of meal timing uh if you eat too close to bed it actually suppresses melatonin as well so you want to try overall to finish your last meal ideally before sunset uh you know kind of maybe a little bit earlier in the summer uh and there's a there's a couple really good studies that um show meal timing at night uh influences insulin, influences glucose sensitivity in a negative way. Uh, and so trying to shorten your meal timing window, um, you know, some of your listeners might be familiar with the concept of inter- intermittent fasting. Um, yep. You know, I think, I think that even if you're not doing the full on intermittent fasting and, and shortening it to eight hours, the shorter you can get it, the better, you know? So, and it especially, you know, especially just trying to restrict eating during dark. Um, I also, I'm a, I'm a proponent here of kind of following your body too on meal timing. I think um, there's value for some people in skipping breakfast if that's natural. But I think for, the, for a lot of people, actually getting a good meal first thing of the day will help in various ways with leptin sensitivity and um, really sort of priming the body to have good glucose control over the day. Um, but some people seem to do better also with skipping breakfast. So I think it's kind of dependent there on the person. I've heard from, uh, you ever follow Dr. Jack Cruz at all? Yes, I do. So he made a statement that was kind of interesting. I haven't found a lot of research on it yet. Um, it's been a while. I heard it, I think it over a year ago, almost two years ago, um, where he would say that people who skip breakfast are, what do you call it? Blue light toxic or blue light, um, toxicity i forgot the term it's i can't remember the third word he used but it would just mean that they were very they're were, they were too much around blue light and that's why they're they're skipping out on meals in the morning instead of the evening 
Hmm. Um, I don't know how much truth there is to that, but I found that to be interesting because I am one that was like, I'll have, I, I, it's easy because I do, an, I, used, I practice intermittent fasting. And it's one of the things where I'm like, oh, I can skip a breakfast, no problem. And I'll eat more in the nighttime. And then when I said, when I heard that, I was like, let me try to flip this. And I was like, hmm, interesting. This is not as, my body's not as, I mean, adapted now to it. But before it was like, it, it was having some struggles with that. And I was like, maybe there is some, uh, some truth to this. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely an interesting character when it comes to uh, the blue light piece, and uh, <laughs> I also don't know necessarily always what to make of statements like that. But I also yeah. have to give him a lot of credit because he's been right about a lot of things. He has and definitely yeah. informed a lot of my uh, awareness and opinion about light and EMF. And um, I, I'd be curious, I'd be curious if there's any any actual research on that. But at the same time, I, I find that I, at least for me, I function way better when I eat breakfast. Me too. I mean, now I do like before I didn't, but now it's like I wake up and my body's like, let's eat, let's mm-hmm. get something in the system ASAP. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, uh, it's not that I'm like, I'm hungry. It's more of like a nutrition thing. Like my body's just like, Hey, let's get nutrients in me. We got things to do. <laughs> I'm like, all right, yeah, let's yeah. do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of if, if you're, if, if you can do it, restricting, finishing the, your meals earlier in the day, you know, finishing in mid afternoon versus the, the morning thing. I think there's more value to that as well. What if you get up really early in the morning and it's dark out? Do you oh, wait yeah. till the sun comes up or I mean, I'm just, cause I'm an early bird who gets up way before the sun's up. Um, is it something that you recommend eating when the sun eventually does come up or what's your, what's your, uh, with your work and everything? What do you, what do you say to that? That's a good question. And I'm equally as curious about the answer to that as you are. Um, my guess would be to eat when you get up. Um, but at the same time, I don't have, I don't think I'm informed enough to really give you a full answer on that. Um, yeah, cool. If you find anything out, let me know. I will. I mean, I, I'm assuming, and I think it's different for everybody, but like if you're getting up, like for me, first thing I do when I get up in the morning is uh, uh, I, I go ahead and I do my, I get my son up and run in so that I get some infrared going because it's dark, but I want to get the infrared hitting me so that I can at least get some of that good rays in me. And then, uh, and then of course, when the sun comes up, but I'll still do my, I'll still eat depending on how I feel. I go based on how I feel though, but there are times I'll wake up and I'm like, Okay, let's hurry up. Let's get. Let's do my meditation. Let's get into my peace zone, and then let's eat afterwards because I need to get food in me. Um, mm-hmm. But it's variant, and, and again, like I said, I haven't uh, definitely some research to do. That's why I said there's always something new and interesting to learn from. So, um, absolutely, I, I actually love to like kind of expand that point a little bit too. Is the oh, yeah. just paying attention to your body and and really feeling into what's right for you in the day, and I think that that's a skill that can be honed. And the more you kind of go down this path of biohacking or, or self-improvement with health or, or anything that, you know, and combining the mindfulness aspect into it, um, the more you're able to make these decisions that are actually in tune with what your body wants. It's like the looking at genetic information is one way to do that and listening to your body's own intuition is another. And it's really fascinating to me a lot of the time, like how, uh, like you mentioned, your the genetic test you did, um, your your workout routine was like it already it, you were already doing it, uh, and so it's it's like it's really interesting to find those parallels and correlations that um, sometimes objective data will uh, reinforce. Um, but you know, I, I think that one of the best skills you can learn, like uh, across the board. Uh, for anything is is a self awareness piece, but especially as you're trying to improve your health or improve your your lifestyle, it's like really learning how to um, develop that sense of interoception of, of body awareness is super huge. So I'd like I to mention. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's something I teach a lot on is just how to tap into those feelings and listen to that, that, that inner voice, the intuition that is that, that, that is wiser than all things. It doesn't need logic to explain itself. It just knows. Um, but I think that's a great piece that, you know, that I think more people, and the thing for the listeners out there, you guys can definitely learn this. It's like building a muscle. It's like learning an instrument. It just takes time and a lot of trust in yourself, which, um, I know for my journey, I used to self-doubt myself like crazy um, and, and like anyone else. And now I don't at all. And I trust this process. And it's amazing how it's usually dead on. And the only times I'm wrong is because I let my head get in the way, which <laughs> I always find that to be interesting. But um, listening to your body is really important. I mean, there's times where I know I'm like, I look at my wife and I'm like, we're having steak tonight. I need some red meat. And she's just like, what's going on? I'm like, 
I don't know. I need red meat. I'm just, I need to eat and I'll polish off a, a nice steak. And I'm like, all right, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Or sometimes I need to eat. I need to binge on some red meat for a little bit, which is weird. I don't, I don't eat a lot of red meat. I eat maybe once a week, if that sometimes every other week, but there are times where I will body's like just craving. And it's like, all right, let's, I don't know what's going on, but let's, uh, I don't need to figure this out. Let's just give it what it needs. And then I feel absolutely amazing and like energized, which is a weird, always a cool, but also a weird thing. Yeah. You know, I, I talked to a client earlier today, I was doing a genetic read for, her, and uh, one of the biggest areas that it seemed like her body was really, you know, really needed support in was selenium. And she was telling me how she craved turkey and she, she didn't like fish. So she wasn't going to crave that, but uh, turkey's got a pretty high amount of selenium. And I was like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, brother, we're winding up to the end here. And, and as always before, I always want to give an opportunity for you to share with the listeners. And I'll put this in the show notes, though. But how can people, you know, get a hold of you and connect with you and so forth? Yeah. So people can go to my website, uh, david-krantz, K-R-A-N-T-Z.com. And um, people can read some of my articles. I've got a couple free uh, informational webinars on there. And uh, if you're interested in learning more, having a conversation, uh, send me a message to the contact form there. I generally offer free 20, 30-minute con- consultations just to you know feel feel out whether we'd be a good fit to work together, give you some more information uh, about whether epigenetic coaching is right for you and uh, have a conversation and see where it goes. So anyone that's interested can go to david-krantz.com and uh, send me an email. And guys, check out his, uh, I know CBD and endocrine system and all that stuff's been huge. I know you have a free webinar on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, um, check that stuff out and so much more. Um, David loved having you on. I definitely have you back on again. There is so much we can dive into that uh, we didn't get a chance to, you know, get into. And, uh, that's definitely for another time, but I appreciate your time. Had a lot of fun. Yeah. Appreciate you having me on. I had a lot of fun too. Great conversation. And, um, yeah, we'd totally love to do it again. And so you got homework now. We got to figure out, you know, eating before night, you know, when you wake up, if we can figure this out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll be, uh, See if I can unearth anything. I'll keep you tuned too. Also, brother. Well, appreciate it. And uh, thanks again. Until next time. All right. Great talking to you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.